0: Welcome to Lit Mag Love, presented by Room Magazine and We Are Lit Writers. I'm Rachel Thompson, writer, editor, and online instructor. In this first season of Lit Mag Love, the podcast, I interview editors from literary journals and share readings from the pages of Lit Mags. My aim is for you, dear writer, to find a Lit Mag where you may have your own words cherished by readers. So today we have John Haggerty from The Forge Literary Magazine. And The Forge Literary Magazine was founded by volunteers from The Fiction Forge, an international online writers forum, which counts among its members and alumni winners of numerous literary awards, including the Commonwealth Short Story Prize, the Bridgeport Prize, the Bristol Short Story Prize, and the Pinch Literary Award in Fiction. Former members' novels have been published by Bloomsbury, Chateau and Windus, I'm not sure if I'm saying that wrong, Skep- Scepter, Headline, and Little Brown. And the Forge's staff share editorial duties equally, they pay their contributors, and their taste, as they say, is wide ranging and eclectic. The Forge Literary Magazine is a project of Forge Literary Press, a nonprofit organization incorporated in the state of California. And I'd like to welcome John Haggerty today. He is the founding editor of the Forge Literary Magazine, and his work appears in a variety of print and online publications. His novel, Calamity Springs, is currently looking for a home. Welcome, John.
1: Uh, glad to be here.
0: So, I, I'd like to start by talking a bit about your own writing. So, since you've written a novel, how did you come to writing?
1: I've got, I've had sort of a complicated relationship with writing. I've always wanted to be a writer. I remember, you know, when I was a child reading, the Lord of the Rings and books like that and it just amazed me that these people could invent entire universes out of nothing and thought it was magical and I so I always wanted to be able to do that but for most of my life I had this crushing case of writer's block where you know I could write the the odd memorable office memo or the email that people would remember for a while but after about three paragraphs that was it. I guess it was maybe a midlife crisis, but I was becoming bored with my career. And a friend of ours who was a career counselor suggested that I take a week off and do nothing. And it's hard to do nothing, hard for me to do nothing. And so, so I started writing. And I found out, this is when I was, um, I guess, 40, in my early 40s. I, and I found out that I could write, oddly enough, maybe because you know, I'm, I don't know, less less ego attached to it or something. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure why it happened, but, um, but I could write. And so I started writing and that's what I've been doing ever since.
0: I love that, that you went from writing memos to then taking a week off and, and just sort of finding that voice. Um, and what, how did the writing come out at that time?
1: I started with some short nonfiction things just because it seemed like, it was like a short story was just too much to tackle. So I, I wrote... Um, there's a park near our house that's pretty wild and I would take my dog out walking there and we would see coyotes every morning. And so I wrote about that, the experience of of seeing a coyote, you know, at dawn. And um and that, you know, I, I liked that one. It it wasn't publishable in any way, but but I, I thought, oh, that's you know, I've got something there. And so so that encouraged me to to do more.
0: Nice. Now can you tell us a bit then about how you came to be an editor, and and I'm thinking the writing then led you to that group, and and you can talk a bit about that.
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a bit of a roundabout story of how I how I got to to the Fiction Forge. Um, the first story I ever had published was a was a runner-up for the Bridport Prize in the UK, and I thought at the time that it was maybe the only thing I would ever get published. So uh, my wife thought that we should make kind of a big deal of it. And so even though I was only a runner up, we thought, well, we've got some airline miles, maybe we should go to the UK. So we went and a woman there was named Vanessa Gebby. Uh, she was the the second prize winner. And I thought I thought actually her story was the best one. But um we started talking and it turns out she was running an an online writers group uh, called the Fiction Workhouse. So she invited me to join and I needed a I needed a group because I was just doing it by myself and I just started. And so, um, so I joined and it was, you know, a, a, an excellent and intimidating selection of writers. Vanessa was really talented at finding good writers. And that eventually she left to, to pursue other things. And, and the ownership of the Fiction Workhouse devolved to me and he renamed it the Fiction Forge. And we've been doing it ever since. It's, I, I guess I, um, the Bridgeport Prize was in 2007. So I guess um, it's been 10 years now in various incarnations and so then we've been doing this together you know exchanging stories and doing writing exercises flash stuff and um because all of the writers are pretty accomplished we've talked a lot about sort of our grievances with the with the uh, the publishing world i think every writer has them and we started to think that that there was an opportunity there that that even though you know i i, I don't want to um to Denigrate anybody's efforts, I think everybody who works in this field is doing it because they love it and they're and we're all doing our best, but it did seem to us that there was some room for for us to to have a space there and and that's improbably and insanely, I guess we started the, the fiction forge or the Forge literary magazine, I should say, and we've been doing it for a year and a half now or I guess a year and eight months and I, I think our initial assessment has been shown to be correct I think we've found some really new and interesting voices, and we published some stuff that we're really proud of.
0: Yes, a lot of the, the newer members of the Room Collective, when they join, if they're writers, come with that real compassion for the writer, and they spend a lot of time reading the submissions and responding to them. Yeah. Have you found that now that you spent more time being an editor, that you're starting to, you know, I, I know the forge has built a lot on on that compassion for the writer and wanting to have a lot of respect for the writer. But have you found sometimes that you are and end up being a bit harried in being one of those editors? I guess <laughs> I'm asking you to call yourself out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to avoid, of course, when the slush pile is big, and you know, and, and you've read the same story it seems like five separate times, or or when people. Have obviously not even taken the trouble to glance at your submission guidelines or whatever, but I do try to i think we all try to still maintain that and to, to not be jaded it's It is a battle and it and it has to be. It's one that I think has to be fought because it, it really, I see no point in us becoming callous or, or cynical about the whole thing. Then there's, it, it really is one of the reasons that, that we started and I think one of the reasons that we still do it. So I still read every submission that's assigned to me. I read it all the way to the end, even when it seems clear to me that that it's not going to work out. And I try, in all the submissions, I try... To approach each one with a sense of optimism and to to look at it, you know that these are in a lot of case, in, well, in every case, writing's hard, and in every case, I think somebody has really worked hard on the story, and they've sent it out with the highest hopes, and I I always try to keep that in mind.
0: I love that. That's so wonderful. So, what when you shifted from writing, and you were a newer writer at the time? to editing, I guess there was some years in between when you were workshopping. Can you tell me what are the qualities you think editing requires that differ from just reading or writing?
1: Well, I think all that time we spent, I spent workshopping other people's stories really helped me become a better editor because it's, in in essence, it's the same skill where you have to, you have to look at the story as a whole, but you also have to see each piece of it and how each piece works together to accomplish what the author intends. And that's the other thing is that, that you have to you have to sort of try to find your way into into the intention of the author. What you know, what is the author trying to accomplish here? And what adds or detracts from those goals? Those skills, that that ability to see right, see somebody's writing in sort of that more both holistic and particular way, I think that's that's something that, that carries over from workshopping to, to editing and something that that has really helped me um, in, in my job as an editor.
0: I love that from holistic to particular. Has completing your novel, or what year did you complete your novel, and, and did that affect your approach to your work as an editor?
1: I think I finished it in 2014. Yeah, and then I spent about a year trying to find an agent, maybe maybe longer. Yeah, it made me much more appreciative of editors, how important editing really is. When I first started writing, I'm one of those people who spends a lot of time not writing. And then when I finally write something, my my first drafts are generally reasonably good. And so when I first started writing, I would write a pretty good first draft. And then I would just polish that up a little bit and send it out and call it good. And... As I've done this more, I've, I've come to realize that when I think something's about 90% done, it's really 50% done. And it's the subtle little things, they are just tiny little things, small word changes, small changes in sentences, or, or just the, the very smallest things can make a huge difference. And so an editor somebody who can come at it with fresh eyes and, and see it in in the way that I described, you know, see, try to see what I was trying to do and, and try to help me accomplish that. It, it's it's a really helpful thing. And one of the well, not to <laughs> not to get back to the ills of the publishing industry, but one of the things that I find has been most discouraging about I don't want to call it the collapse of the publishing <laughs> industry, but let's call it the consolidation of the publishing industry. I, I'm talking mostly about um about book publishing as is how more and more of these functions that used to, to traditionally go to the the publisher, specifically editing, has now devolved back on the writer. Like if you're a first-time yes, yeah. writer, it's very rare to actually get an editor. And, and I think that's a huge loss to everyone.
0: Yeah, I guess that's one of the reasons why publishing in lit mags can be such a good experience, because you do, for many magazines, and definitely for The Forge, get to work with an editor who is going to help you make your work the best it can be.
1: Right. Yes. And that's one of the things that we hope we can do. And, and I, we also, you know, in addition to editing people, when, when we think that we can, we can help, we do also try to give feedback when we can. It's not, you know, we can't always do that. And we can't do that for most stories. But when something we think is close, a lot of times we'll send along some encouraging words.
0: Yeah, you, you did that for a lot of the students in my lit mag love course, and they were really grateful and really appreciated the feedback.
1: Oh, well, good. Well, I'm, I'm happy about that. It makes me happy. Yeah. I think generosity is something I do try for in writing. And I think it's a quality we should all strive for.
0: I agree. Can you tell me, did you have this experience yourself with the lit mag? What was the first LitMag you published in, for example, and, and how did that go in terms of working with the editor?
1: You know, the first the first real feedback I got was from the Santa Monica Review. I, I'd sent them a story, and they rejected it, but, but he sent back some significant uh, feedback. He, he'd actually gone through and given me some line edits and stuff, and, and, and they were generally pretty good suggestions. So I incorporated them, and I sent them back in, and he took the story. And I thought, wow, that, that's so nice. You know, it was... Because a lot of times it does feel like you're sort of slogging through the desert with the whole submission thing. And it's just not, you know, everybody's had those two and three rejection days and, or everybody who submits a lot anyway, which I guess I'm guilty. And so that really did impress me how a little bit of effort can go a long way that really just that there's so little encouragement in this and so little positive feedback that just a little bit can really can really keep keep somebody going. And so that's, you know, that's one of the things we do try to do when we can.
0: Yeah, I think it's great that you see the meaning in that. And I, I totally agree around generosity that, and gratitude too, The the more you can kind of incorporate that into your writing practice, I think the better, more you're going to be able to sustain that writing practice and the the more enjoyable it will be too.
1: (laughs) Right. Because, because there's a huge amount of negative feedback, you know, it's the default state of the writer is rejection, right?
0: Or yeah. at least just neutral, like just, no, we can't take it. And then right, and, it, and it's
1: hard not to, and this is something I, I tell people all the time, and I'm not sure whether I'm ever believed or not, but even those neutral things, there's no judgment there, right? There, there's almost no information there aside from the fact that the, the lit night didn't want your stuff for whatever reason. But the, if people get rejected all the time for, you know, good stories get rejected constantly. And it's not that the story is terrible. It's not that you're a terrible writer or a terrible person. None of those, you know, that's not what we're trying to communicate, even with just a form decline. It's, it's that there's, there's a limited amount of space, and there's only so much we can do. And or, it you know, it doesn't fit our style, or there's, there's so many reasons that you can get rejected. and, And I've, I've known people who they get one rejection and they think it's time to pull the story back and work on it a lot more and and it's I think that's um it's an easy mistake to make but it's also a pretty big mistake. A lot of good stories as I said get rejected and you just have to keep going.
0: So in the past um when we spoke before you you told me sometimes a submission is so good that you're and I'm paraphrasing but that you're left wondering how did they do that. So Can you tell me what's the best thing you learned about writing by reading submissions?
1: You know, when I, I I saw this question and one of the first stories I thought of was um, one we recently published called Bulk by Brian Broom. It's nonfiction and it's, it's really unsparingly honest and brave. Um, He's really kind of exposed himself there. um, A really painful aspect of his childhood. And that's, that's something, I, I think that's what all art should aspire to, that kind of honesty and bravery. And it, it's, I, I write mostly fiction, I've, read, I've written some nonfiction, but I think it's, it's an interesting question to ask ourselves is how we bring that same sort of honesty to fiction, because I think it's an important part of fiction too. I think if you're not working to expose something deep and scary then in a sense you you've already failed and so work like that when when i think wow you know that just putting that down on the page was a big accomplishment that stuff always blows me away and then um it i also think of something a story we published called the things that happened while we waited for our magical grandmother to die um by kuzali monicavel and um she's She's really a wonderful writer, and she tends to write these incredibly strange things that its they sort of teeter on the verge of almost not making sense, but yet they do. And I, I just really love the way she writes and the way that somehow she makes it work. And I've never figured out how she does that, but, uh, but it always does work, and she's great.
0: I love that. you just always discovering, and I agree with just reading new submissions from really new writers there's such energy there and you can see things that you've never seen in print before
1: yeah and that's really the the reward i think when when you when you do see something new
0: so i want to shift to talk a bit about the mechanics of how the forge works and i know you rotate editors and i wasn't sure how that works i noticed you don't advertise who's who's actually editing the next issue and so that's sort of an internal thing and then maybe just tell us about first reading, who, who's doing the first reading. I, I think it's you, the editors, too, but just maybe tell us a bit more about that.
1: Right. So it's the, the same editorial staff does all the reading. So if somebody is reading the slush pile, they'll eventually rotate into being an editor. We do, um, on the About Us page, we do list who the current editors are. I guess, yeah, we, maybe we, don't, maybe we don't say who's going to be the next ones. But so a story comes in, it's assigned to two people two readers and if one of the readers gives a strong yes or if one of the readers gives us a strong yes then it goes to the, the editors at large. If somebody gives it a maybe then we give it to one more reader and if if it gets two maybes then it goes to the editors. And then the basically the ones that have either gotten a strong yes or, or the two maybes, they go into a pool that any of the editors who are either current or upcoming can pick out of. So, for example, if if I know that I'm a I'm going to be the editor next month, I'll start to read the the current list of stories that we we think are promising, and if any of them grab me, then I can I can select it immediately. Though I I would usually defer to the existing editors because they've got more time constraints. But if if none of them want it and I like it, then I can take it. Then, but um, but so that, yeah, that's how it works.
0: So I'm going to ask you a bit more about submissions to The Forge, but first we're going to take a sponsor break. So after the break, John Haggerty from The Forge is going to tell us a bit more about what The Forge is looking for in submissions and what kind of writing they want to see more of and those kind of things. This season of Lit Mag Love the podcast is brought to you by my course Lit Mag Love. So if you're a writer who wants to feel like a professional, not an amateur, but you just need some proof that you're not wasting your time with this writing thing, and nobody's given you that official card to confirm you're a writer, or if you're a writer who'd love to finish some pieces, but you're having trouble with focus and motivation, or maybe you're a writer who just wants to get your writing out in the world, and instead is gathering dust in a miscellaneous writing file on your computer, and you just need help staying accountable, I suggest you check out my course, Lit Mag Love, and you can find out more about it at lipmaglove.com, where you can get one free lesson. And some of the lessons include help on getting off the roller coaster of feeling hopeful when you submit work and then crushed when it's rejected and in the course you learn how to find an audience for your writing and you get ready for more visibility in the writing community another part of the course that students really love and writers tell me after that was the best part for them was finding a writing community that embraces you so if you feel like you know writing is done in this quiet solitude which it is and that that's definitely part of the writing life is is writing on your own but maybe you're yearning for a community of like-minded people of writers who are also working on being seen and sharing their work with the world then I do again suggest you check out my course litmeglove.com. there is a free lesson for you to try it to see if you like it hope to see you there back with John Haggerty from The Forge. And Sean, I want you to tell me what The Forge is looking for in submissions.
1: Yeah, this is a tough question for us to answer always, because since The Forge sort of grew organically out of our writing group, and all of the writers, we, we all sort of span, I think, a lot of styles just naturally. And that seems to have translated into differences in what we like and and what we're looking for. And so I don't think we have a house style exactly, or we certainly have never tried to define one. But we published everything from minimalism to the most, you know, ornate and dense prose (laughs) imaginable. Well, not imaginable, I guess. But um, so... So I, I, it's hard to like, and I know this might be frustrating for people, but it's, it really is hard for me to to pin it down. We're, we're open to pretty much everything. And I think it just, if it's fresh, if it's strong, if it's a good story, then I think there's a good chance that somebody here will like it. The writing world, you know, it, it's so, there's no right answer, you know, like it's not like a computer program or a math problem where you can, you know, whether it's right or wrong. And so there, I, I've always felt that there's this constant search for certainty. Like, yes. Tell me, tell me that this is right, and and there, unfortunately, you can't because it, it it can't be done. It's
0: like the good news and the bad news about writing, really, isn't it?
1: Exactly. Yeah. It, it's it goes both ways, and that's one of the things we've talked about. Is the one of the things I I've you know we've seen that is difficult is is that it. I think people a lot of times have been sort of victimized by the writing courses because they always there, you, you always get the feeling with some, some stories that somebody has just gotten a list of the rules and has doggedly and persistently made the story conform to all of the rules, you know, show, don't tell, write what you know. There there are so many little writing homilies that, that are dispensed to us.
0: Kill your darling. They're really
1: not rules. They're <laughs> guidelines. And often the the best writing is what happens just a little bit outside those guidelines or even a lot outside them. And and it's I think a lot of people have to unlearn a lot of the lessons that have come from sort of cookie cutter writing classes. And so that's, yeah, as you say, that's both the good news and the bad news. The, the good news is you can do whatever you want. And the bad news is that you never know <laughs> if it's going to work or not.
0: Yeah. So we talked about this when you were a guest in in my Lit Mag Love course, and you answered a question from my student, Deanna, about what are the cues that signal you that a piece is an overdone cliche? We had a bit of a laugh about that question. But I know you were talking about ones that have been overworkshopped. And can you tell us maybe a bit more about what kind of writing you, one, want to see more of, but also what what you'd rather not see again for a very long time?
1: Yeah. So (laughs) for a while, we actually had a discussion on the the kinds of stories that we'd seen and there's sort of the men being men selling your soul to the devil, a guy in a bar sort of wandering, meandering coming of age stories that don't ever seem to to go anywhere. Like a lot of people seem to think that their childhood was super interesting. And I'm sorry to say that most of the time it's most interesting to you and not to anybody else, unless there's some bigger purpose behind it. Um, so we, we get a lot of that. I think we talked a little bit about how endings are difficult for people and yes. a, a bad ending will just kill a story. And I, I think th- this comes back to one of those guidelines. I think epiphanies, for example, have gone a bit out of fashion now. And so people think that they shouldn't end with a big epiphany. So they, they, they approach that by just ending the story, hoping that, that the, the ending will be, enigmatic and ambivalent and evocative. <laughs> but, but these things have to be planned. You can't just end the story and hope for the best. And the, the um, bad endings, I think, as an editor are the toughest ones, because it really kind of calls into question what the writer was going for in the, in the first place. And it, it makes it really hard to figure out what you would do to fix that. So I would urge people to really give some thought to their endings, because we do see a lot where they just seem to have run out of ideas and quit and put a period at the end and send it off.
0: Yeah, I I see that too, where I feel this sense of dread as the story is about to end, because if someone's managed to do a really, you know, hooking beginning, and there's no problems within the plot, the causality is all good, then I'm just hoping oh no are they going to make the ending is it going to
1: work out and and there there there's so many that are like that 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 are it's like it's really compelling and the writing's good and you're going yeah and then like boom it ends and oh such a letdown so sad and so close but but at the same time like i said it's it's really hard to know how to proceed from there and and i don't think we've ever taken a story even for significant editing that had a bad ending so
0: Really? Okay. Because that, that's a difference between us and the Forge, like so between Room and the Forge, because we will accept stories that have difficulties in the ending and we try to make suggestions. I don't know if, if they Not always succeed. You.
1: No, I, I appreciate it's, that and I, I admire your bravery. I, I think it's more that I personally don't have the courage for it because its it seems daunting to me. So I, I admire you for doing that. I do. <laughs>
0: So th- this is great to segues into my next question about developmental suggestions in editing. So what should a writer expect when their work is accepted at the forge and how much work do you, will you, like how much back and forth do you do and how many suggestions like that? So not, not the endings probably, but would you <laughs> suggestions to some, you know, causality problems or different problems within a story?
1: So this is this is another one that doesn't have a really set answer since we do rotate editors and we all have day jobs it's not always it it comes down to the editor deciding how much work they're willing to put in and how how promising they feel the story is so we've we've gone the whole gamut from taking a story as is to providing pretty significant feedback so i i don't think I can say that there's one thing I will say that that we are not afraid of providing a lot of feedback if we think that it's warranted and if we if the if the editor in question feels that they have the time and energy to devote to it which like I said comes and goes depending on the demands of our lives.
0: And when you look at the bulk of the submissions like the the slush pile that you receive what proportion would you estimate could be published in the forge if you had all the space and all the time in the world
1: so right now i think we're hovering around one and a half percent acceptance rate and really i don't think we'd go much over five percent there's you know a lot of the stuff we get is pretty good but it's it's really a clear bell curve. You know, there there's very little really bad stuff. That that's one of the things that surprised me when I started reading slush files. I, I I thought that it was gonna be like a huge amount of terrible stuff, but but it it really is that you know, the classic normal distribution where there's a little bit of really bad stuff, there's a little bit of really good stuff, and then there's a whole bunch of stuff in between, a lot of which is pretty good, but not really great. And we do like really great. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, I I I want people to get published and I want them to succeed, but I also want really good fiction to be out there. And so, yeah, I I don't think we publish a huge amount more than we currently do.
0: So, of the pieces in the middle, what are some of the more common errors that you see in those submissions?
1: I think there's, you know, the thing is there are so many ways for writing to go south, and I I think it, when you're reading a slush pile, you see almost all of them. There's the, the thin characterization or, or stereotypical actions, there's cliched writing, there's sort of lifeless writing. I, this is, that's what I, I sort of consider to be, and I'm, and I'm not even sure if this is true or not, but, but sometimes you, you get a story that is competently written, but seems somehow lifeless. And I always, I always get the feeling that those have been just workshop to death, that the writer went and dutifully wrote down everything that every single critic had to say, and then went in and tried to, to incorporate that into the story. And so it, it almost feels as if it's been written by a committee, and all the life has been sucked out of it. It's, it's hard, you know, and this is, this is one of the reasons I do feel so much compassion for writers. It's hard. It's hard to write a good story. It's hard to, it's hard to make all these things work together. And this is not even talking about, like, so if we're talking about the lower end of the bell curve, where you get a lot of this sort of telling without showing sort of things, and then you can also get too much showing without telling, too, you know, like, one of the things is that people think when they hear the show don't tell, they think you have to show all the time, but if you look at any story, it's a combination of shows and tells. And there's a lot of a slavish conformity to, I think, what people think editors want to read rather than what they really want to write. And I I think that's probably the biggest mistake people make. And I've done this, where you start writing for some fictional audience in your head rather than writing what's really true for you. And I think that can be seen always.
0: Yes, I agree. And I'm just sort of letting those words sink in because I think they're really important that you study the craft, but then you have to work in a way that's authentic to your writing, to yourself, to your voice as a writer. And it's sort of something that just happens through practice over time. And, and submitting to journals is a great thing to be doing for your writing as long as you can get that relationship with the editor but you also just need to, to learn, I guess, how to differentiate between different forms of advice and whether people are reading you and understanding what you're trying to do with your piece when they give that advice, or are they, again, parroting that kind of cookie cutter approach?
1: Right. And that's why feedback and, and especially good feedback is important to get because it really is extremely hard to see your own work objectively. And having a good set of, of additional eyes that will tell you when things are going wrong is, is extremely important. But at the same time, I also think that, that a bad writer's group is almost worse than no writer's group at all, because you can get a lot of those reflexive reactions and, and it'll just suck the life out of your work. So yeah, there are, once again, there are no easy answers. Badly.
0: <laughs> so I'm hearing something on your mic. I don't know if you're moving a paper around or something, but... Um that I don't know what that is
1: okay sorry just uh, be careful
0: (laughs) okay so we are almost done um I wanted to ask you about uh, diversity in the forge it's a buzzword in publishing right now but I think it's become very apparent for anyone who who wasn't apparent to before that it is really urgent to make sure multiple perspectives and voices are reflected in literature so how does the Forge fare in letting writers of all backgrounds know that their work is welcome in its pages?
1: So this is a great question, and I'm I'm really glad you asked because it got us thinking as a group about what we could do. We've taken a pretty passive approach in general to our submissions. We put up a website and every once in a while we adver- adver- advertise in new pages, but we haven't really made a concerted effort to go out. and And find people. We just sort of hope that people would find us. And I think as your question points out that you're right that that's probably not sufficient anymore. That we have to be a little more proactive. So the short answer is that we're not doing much now, but we are considering some a bunch of different things. Uh, One of the things that I thought was a pretty good suggestion was to offer a fellowship for people of color something, you know, that that would allow them to come in to work with us to to uh, help us read the slush to help us work editorially on the pieces to work with us in the fiction forge on, on their own writing i think if we could set something like that up and it's still in a very preliminary stage so i'm just i'm just talking a lot with <laughs> without a lot to back it up currently but um that that's something that that we're considering doing and i think something that could be important certainly doing something like this i hope people of color and people with diverse backgrounds hear this podcast and that, uh, that they see the forge as a place that would be welcoming to them because we are, we do love to see different voices. We love to see people of all different backgrounds. I think that's what makes literature strong is, is seeing those stories that you haven't seen before. And so, yeah, would any, <laughs> um, we're, so we're working on it, I guess is the short answer.
0: Okay. And can you tell me about writers that you've discovered through the Forge who you continue to read today?
1: Yeah, that's that's another tough question. We're a pretty new journal; we don't get a lot of established writers. But Nahid Rocklin, her submission blew me away, and and it's it's led me to to look for more of her stuff elsewhere. I think she's great. Um, Stephen J. Lyons uh, was just cited in last year's Best American Nonfiction. His stuff is great. He's he's funny and and interesting. Louis Gallo who's been around for a while and and has written a ton of really great stuff. He's he's also been somebody that that I was introduced to through our slush pile and and that I'm I'm really glad that I've I've read his stuff now.
0: So I, I do want to ask you about Nahid Rockland's piece and we are going to feature it in a, in a mini episode with a reading of her work that was published in The Forge. Can you set that up? Though can you tell me a bit about why you published it and, and what, you know, what drew you to it? And, and, and what do you think it was successful about that particular, it's a series of flash pieces, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's a series of flashes set in Iran. And the first thing that I saw, and this, this is the way it usually is for me, though, this is not universal among our editors, but the first thing that drew me to it was the really sharp writing I love just the sentences in that piece. They're just really, really good. And so that's sort of what, what piqued my interest at first. And then as I read it, it deals with two women and the problems that they have in Iran, and then one man, and all of, all of whom arguably live at the fringes of society and, and, and are punished for that by society. And the way that those things are handled is is it's so delicate and beautiful. And it's the the stories themselves are are tremendously sad, but but she she handles them with such grace and and beauty. it's it's really um it's really a great piece, and I would urge everybody to read it
0: great. And people will be able to listen to it in the accompanying episode for this one. So can you tell me? we're just going to um, wrap up with that. But I'm wondering if it's possible for writers to get involved behind the scenes at the Forge as a reader or a volunteer, and and how that would work.
1: So, because of the way the Forge was created, this is this has also been a little bit of a difficult question for us. Before we began the Forge, we had spent years, literally, um, reading each other's work and critiquing each other's work, and we'd developed a, a level of of trust both in each other's abilities and each other's taste, and so that's a little bit hard to break into, I think. Having said that, one of our contributors did approach us after we published a piece of hers and asked if we had any work. And we talked it over internally and and we did like her work. Uh, We wouldn't have published it obviously otherwise. And her attitude seemed really positive. She seemed like she had a lot of energy. And so we took a chance on her and uh, she's worked out great. So we, we're not totally opposed to it, but it's a, it's a difficult process, I think. As I said, it's it's a little bit hard to break in just because we, we all know each other so well. But um, if somebody wants to write to us and offer their services, then we would certainly consider it. We would like it to be somebody who's, um, who has been published before, because that's generally one of the criteria of admission into the, the Fiction Forge Writers Group. But beyond that, I guess everything is uh, open to negotiation.
0: Nice. So it's persistency and and starting that relationship with you that would help,
1: right? I think sometimes people do it on a whim, like, gee, I'd like to read for a for a lit night, and then you know the the reality of it hits. So it 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 needs to be anybody who approaches us. We'd really like them to be sure they want to do this and and that it's not just something that they has occurred to them might be fun because it is a lot of work and we it's a would, lot of reading <laughs> right we would want some level of, of commitment but as i said it's it has worked out for us once in the past so we're not totally opposed to it
0: great so before we wrap up i just want to ask you how can readers submit their work to the forge
1: so um our website is uh just the uh, forgelitmag.com all one word F-O-R-G-E-L-I-T-M-A-G dot And we have a page with uh, submissions guidelines, which we urge you to read. Yes, we, we strongly request you read. <laughs> them. It's, it's kind of a turnoff when somebody has clearly not read the submissions guidelines. We accept uh, only through Submittable. So um, no email, no snail mail, nothing like that. And the link to Submittable is on our uh, submissions page and can be found there.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for being here today, John.
1: Thank you. I, I enjoyed it and appreciate the appreciate the time.
0: This episode of LitMag Love, the podcast is brought to you by Lit Mag Love, the course. You can find out more about the course on LitMagLove.com. That was my conversation with John Heverty from The Forge. I would like to give you now the LitMag lowdown so we can talk about the logistics of submitting to The Forge and also what we learned from talking to John. So, payment information is they pay five cents per word up to $50. They publish fiction and CNF. They prefer stories below 3,000 words and up to 5,000. And they accept submissions all year round. So, the editors rotate. And I, I would note this, especially because it's also true of Room Magazine, because editors rotate, you're getting someone else, a different person's taste each time. So if someone rejects your piece there, then I would just submit another piece to the next editor. And they publish online every week. So every week, they're releasing a new story. So what we learned from John is that there isn't a particular taste, and that also comes down to the rotation of editors. So you do want to read The Forge and see what kind of stories they're publishing, but just bear in mind that they're pretty open for anything. And one thing that John said, and I think it's just true of all literary writing of quality, is that if you're not exposing something in your writing, be it fiction or CNF, then it's probably not going to be as successful So they are looking for that work that does the deep dive. They're looking for truly literary writing. And, and that's about it, though. So we know that, you know, he doesn't want work that's overly workshopped. But that again, is pretty common, something to look for in, in your writing in general, no matter where you're submitting it to. So I feel like there's a bit of a carte blanche to submit here. They're open to diversity in in submissions, they don't have an incredibly diverse editorial staff, but they're looking at ways maybe to change that. And they do they have published a diversity of writers already. So again, those are things to to think about. If you are interested in submitting to them, then you want to go to forge So F O rgelitmag.com and those details will be on the show notes for this episode. Show notes for this episode are available on litmaglovepodcast.com and there you'll also be able to sign up to be notified when new episodes come out. If you feel some litmag love for this episode, please tell us in a review on iTunes. When you do, you will automatically be entered for a bi-weekly draw for a subscription to Room Magazine.